Welcome to the Lucha Lounge Podcast. I am your host, Elijah Kang, a sound designer by day, but by night, I am a pro wrestling connoisseur, the proud owner of two cats, and the host of this, the Lucha Lounge Podcast. This podcast is all about giving uncommon people a platform to share their ideas and stories with all of you. So thanks for listening. Here we go. The guest on the 36th episode of the Lucha Lounge Podcast is a creative illustrator. He is joined by fellow artist and Lucha Lounge podcast veteran Mong Lin to discuss his story, the struggles he's had to overcome, and his artistic philosophy. This was a great conversation with two incredibly creative minds. So without any further delay, please welcome my guest, one of my very favorite artists, Kenny Thomas, a.k.a. Tomcat23. Boom, and we're live with Kenny Thomas, a.k.a. Tomcat23. Welcome to the Lucha Lounge Podcast. Thank you for having me. And before I forget, we're also here with Mong Lin. Hi. And we're all here, and we're going to talk about art. Awesome. Here we go. Um, so, before we even jump into anything art-related, you were saying that the name Tomcat23 comes from your military service. Yes. Which is new news to me. Mm-hmm. So, what is that about? All right. So... When I was trying to pick a designation for a name on Instagram, I kept trying to figure out ones that would work and none of them would work with my name until I used Tomcat, which is interesting because it's kind of the plane that I used to do briefings for. At 14. Yes. In the Navy. So I was a briefer in the Navy uh, pre-flight before they went on bombing missions. Hmm. So when Tomcat came up unused, I was like, there we go. Tomcat 14 was used, but Tomcat 23 wasn't. Right. And 23, I've always kind of had a little thing for Michael Jordan, so the 23 just fit. So Tomcat 23 is like military service plus my love of sports smashed together, and there you go. Yeah, and like a lot of your artwork is, you know, inspired by sports. You have mm-hmm. the the Ben Franklin with the, the Jordan, and then you do the stuff with the Philly Frenetic. Always. Yeah. Always. It is cool. I do like that shirt. It's the Run the Jewels. Run the Jewels, yeah, except man. it's... uh. Philly fanatic and gritty. Oh yeah, holding, it's holding a chain that is the uh the Liberty, Liberty Bell. Bell. Yeah. yeah. So you are like super Philly proud. I don't know how I feel with having an Eagles <laughs> fan in in <laughs> in the home of our beloved Oakland Raiders, but wow. Yeah. You're the second Oakland Raiders fan I've met today. Today. Today, my Uber driver was an Oakland Raiders fan. Okay. And I actually gave him props cuz I said I was a fan of Willie Galt back in the day. Yeah, I don't know who that is, but Five stars for that guy. Yeah. <laughs> Willie Galt is like one of the fastest receivers to ever live. Really? Yes. World-class speed. He was an Olympic sprinter and then became a wide receiver because Al Davis tapped him. Oh, I do know who he oh, is. I yeah. do. It. Yeah. Dude was a beast. Well, Al Davis was known for drafting just the the tallest, fastest, most a- most athletic black guys. Yeah. In no, the that's exactly what yeah. he do. Yep. You're tall. You're fast. You're big. All come with me. <laughs> yeah, that's that's and that's why our franchise is the way that it is today. True. Um, but we don't. We're not here to talk no, about the good. Raiders. All good. Um, yeah, man. I mean, this whole podcast is all about you know you and how you came into art, and that's why I have an art expert, Mong Lin, is here to kind of help help me with my own ignorance about art. You know, for me, things are super lowbrow. If if I look at it and I like it. Oh, I guess, yeah, I guess it's art. Believe it or not, that's the essence of art. Mm. Everybody tries to dissect it into something more complex than it is. 
what you're doing is you're trying to satiate the shiny object gene in humans. Make shiny object, other people will love shiny object. That's how art functions for me. And I'm a person that is a, how do you put it, um, a synthesis kind of artist. Mm -hmm. I'm one of those people that I'll walk out and see five things and then smash those five things together into one thing and present it as an art piece. Because I see the world as nothing but synthesis. I don't see individual things. I see how things can be paired together. That's how my art works. And if you watch my feed, that's generally yeah, that's what it is. always reflected in your pieces. It's smashing things that shouldn't go together together. So it can be politics meets sports or it can be art meets <laughs> I don't know, weaponry. It, it's anything that if they're two opposite ends of the spectrum, I'm going to try to fuse them as fast as I possibly can. But yeah, that's how my art works. It's like, um, as I explained it to my wife, I do what's called like visual association. Mm -hmm. So if I see an image, I instantly see another image kind of placed on top of it without anything, without any suggestion or idea. So I generally like to create a third thing that didn't exist prior by t putting two things together. And that way I know that the world hasn't seen it before because I'm the first person to smash these things together. <laughs> it is like a visual mashup. Yep. And I think part of it came because I like so many different things. And for me to have fandoms that are so varied, the only way I can even rationalize them is to smash them together. Because I love sports. I love art. Those are two opposite ends of the spectrum. Most yeah. people that are big art fans are not big sports fans. Sure. I'm both. I also love politics and I love cartoons. Those are two things that most people, if you like one, you don't like the other. So this is why that kind of, functions a little different for my work than it does for most people so it's like having a brain that's constantly making something new out of what is presented so sometimes that gets me into trouble where i just don't stop making ideas <laughs> <laughs> well yeah man i mean it is it is crazy because after after monglin told me about your art and i started following you every day you put out something new at least one thing try to yep so one of the things that i wanted to ask you about that is that is that kind of like a, a discipline thing where you're like every day at least one thing it started with me having a job for the sixers i used to do design work for the sixers flyers and minor league baseball Whoa. and my train trip from home to work i didn't want to stare at people because i don't know if, if you're in philly and you're ever on a broad street line you really don't want to no stare at people <laughs> No, you really don't. I mean, I had a gentleman get on the train with a Ziploc bag of spaghetti and a fork, eating it mm. next to me, asking me, did I want some? I'm like, nah, nah, we're, we're good, yeah. chief. We're all good. That's so generous of you. <laughs> I was like, you're, you're, you're a really nice guy, but no, you can have your spaghetti. I'm, I'm good. Man, in the Ziploc, is, that's the, the key. The Ziploc with the fork. I was good. Um, <laughs> so I formed the habit of drawing in a sketchbook just for the trip, for the transit, so I didn't stare at people, and so I didn't get myself in trouble. And for me, I can't read on public transit because I get too engrossed in the reading, and then I miss my stop, and next All thing you know, time. I'm, yeah, yep. it's a mess. <laughs> I can't engross myself in something that allows me to imagine too much, right. because then I completely miss what's going on around me. But if I'm drawing, drawing is okay, because then I can kind of pick up on what people are doing and sketch it down and... So that long trip got me to making two, three, four pieces of art probably before I got to work. Wow. So they would be unfinished sketches, but I would make myself a promise to ink it at work, 
put it back out by the end of the day. Right. So it got me on this cycle of one sketch, one ink, one finish every day. So now I got to a pace which I had to slow myself down from where I was doing five sketches, five inks, and five finishes in a day. That's a lot of work. For so st- is that your process with every piece, or do you use different mediums? Pen and ink became my medium because mm-hmm. once I had a daughter, um, painting was not capable. That's I not couldn't feasible, paint. Right? I couldn't paint. <laughs> my 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 daughter would get in the paints. She it was just like, no, nah, I can't do this. But once I created the pen and ink, like a really quick system to sketching and inking, mm-hmm. it allowed me to get to a finished point faster than my traditional painting style. Right which I used to be a, an acrylic painter. Hmm. And I my, just as in-depth as this stuff looks used to be how my paintings would look. But you can't do that with a kid running around. And yeah. so I stopped painting and just focused on this, which this became a much sharper tool. And strangely enough, this one became more usable. Hmm. Because this, I mean, I could actually change colors, change concepts, change ideas, and then make a line of shirts, make a line of posters, make a line of... Because it was all digital. Oh. Okay. Whereas working traditionally, the amount of processing I would have to do in Photoshop to get those to be sellable mm-hmm. is like a lot more work than me just pen and inking it, scanning it live, tracing it, and coloring. So that that's a process, right? Yep. So you, you draw it on, on the paper mm-hmm. and then you scan it. I pen and ink it. If you notice, all of my sketches are in blue. Right. And it's an old school advertising trick that I learned in college. The non-repro blue does not reproduce when you photo when you uh, uh, use a photocopier Whoa. or any kind of scanning method. So what happens is if I draw in blue, ink it in black, the only thing that shows up when I scan it is black. So all I'm left with is something to color, and the blue lines are gone. So I make all my mistakes in blue. And then I make all my finishes in black and then do all my color on the computer. Whoa. Yep. That's so cool, It's to streamline the process so that I could get a finished product at the end that I could use anywhere and anyhow. You know what, though? That is, I feel like that's the key with anything creative, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you find all the shortcuts just so that you Mm -hmm. can go from A to B faster. Like, for me, with the audio engineering thing, it's all about shortcuts in my left hand. You know what I mean? It's exactly it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what happens is, I think when you get people that get expert level... At anything, they start cutting away the things that are unnecessary. Right. They start cutting away all those extra layers. Like I remember, I used to make five proofs of everything. Yeah, it's one proof now, <laughs> not five. Huh. I used to make five of everything: five versions of a logo, five versions of a layout, five versions of a poster. And the weird thing is, I think doing that kind of drilling made me fast enough at it that doing one takes me no time because I'm used to doing five. Hmm. And my old job at the stadium, we had to have every hour of the day accounted for on a project. Oh, yeah. You had clock in and clock out. Everything was actually like, this had five minutes on it. This has 50 minutes on it. This has an hour and a half. This has two hours. And by the time you're done, it should add up to 7.5 hours a day. That's crazy. Yeah. But I used to get through that schedule and then pick up somebody else's schedule for the other half. So I would be doing a schedule and a half every day. Man. Because I got to the point where I was fast enough that all I had to do is pick up their stuff and go, oh, you're using a template. I got that. Man, <laughs> I, I really empathize with your workflow because I always say, like, because I'm an audio engineer mm-hmm. and I work at an agency. And I always say I'm not the best engineer, but I'm the fastest. 
But you know what? In a way, that's being the best. I know yeah. it sounds really weird, but when you're in the ad industry, the 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 audio industry, anything, it's the person that gets it out the door first that wins. I don't care if you are Da Vinci. If you're not getting it out before that other guy that's able to get three or four of them out, you lost. I don't care how good it is. You lost. I learned that the hard way in art school. I used to come up with these very complicated ideas that were good, great, well thought out ideas. But I'd get beat by somebody that just made something that looked cool. Something mm-hmm. mediocre in comparison. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Something that wasn't as well thought out that just looked cool ended yeah. up beating me because it just looked cool. That's why I said it's about shiny objects. It's not about how in-depth you go because the the general public is never going to understand your thought process enough to get that, hey, I'm using this font that was only used by five people and the five people that used it are the people that I'm representing in this this layout. Who's going to know that? How do you not feel pressured to sacrifice the quality of your work for the sake of getting it out first? Well, that's when drilling on the side becomes the most important. Because I want to be like a great hitter where you've done it so many times it's muscle memory Mm -hmm. that you've gotten so good at it that you don't worry about whether it's good. You just worry about that it's out. Mm. So I'm not at at the point that I quibble about like whether it's good or bad is when I lose. When I just get it out and Mm -hmm. move on to the next thing is when I win. I've learned to develop a very short memory. As soon as it's (laughs) off my plate, I don't even care it exists. Because okay. if I do care it exists, that means I'm going to think about it too much. That's such a contrast from my style of art. I'm very much uh, emotionally tied to my pieces. So it takes so much more time to put in these intricate details and put it out to people because it's like an extension of me. But the difference is your audience is different. Yeah. Me, I'm usually going for a commercial audience. So mm-hmm. That's immediate. But you're looking for people that that are going to feel a resonance with the emotion in your art. Right. So that means that you don't have to think that deep about it. You just have to be you. If your art is emotionally that deep, it's fantastic because it's going to resonate with somebody else that feels that way. Right. And a lot of the type type of stuff that I make, I don't look for it to have emotional resonance unless it's something I'm really putting some time and effort into. Mm-hmm. Other stuff, I'm looking for the quick sell. I'm looking for somebody to go, damn, that's cool. That's Bender. <laughs> damn, that's cool. That's this. Damn, right. that's cool. That's that. And it basically chiefly comes out of that understanding that most people love art they've seen before. Right. I know that sounds something like Something that goofy. resonates with them. Yes. So if you make something that actually picks up on something they already are into, that's a win-win. Right. And to me, I've always looked for audiences that had similar likes as me. So when I make something, I know that that's going to hit with that audience. And that's it. I mean, because if I overthink a piece of art, I think I, I've lost. Because then I'll redraw it a million times or it won't look <laughs> right or the or the pose will be – it'll be too labored. Right. So to me, when I'm going – I've been an hour on this sketch. Yeah, kill it. It's over. Whoa. It's not wow. – yeah, it's it's over. And what's weird is when I was a painter, I was the same way. If I did not get the full painting executed in a day, trash it. It's done. That's insane. All the layers of drying acrylic. Yep. Yep. I would (laughs) just. Under an hour. Toss it. It's done. Oh, no. I'm dead serious. (laughs) I've always been that guy. I've always been that guy. And maybe it's taking a militaristic approach to my my Mm -hmm. art. Right. But I've always been that guy that if it's not what I want within a specific span of time, that idea is dead right now. Just kill it. And I will come back to an idea that I think was worth my time, but just not laboring like that. Right. Because mm. if I'm laboring like that, that means it's not clear enough in my head. I always tell 
my my wife and daughter that my art is like developing a picture. If if it's um if you had a Polaroid, right? Mm-hmm. Now when you shake the Polaroid, the picture starts to develop. In my head, if the if the idea is strong. I don't have to shake that Polaroid long for it to come into existence. But if I'm shaking and shaking and shaking and I'm sketching and sketching and sketching and it's not coming into existence, it's not there. just kill it. It's not there yet. It's Damn. not ready. It's just not ready for production. And so why fight yourself to do it? Because it, it's not worth it. It's not worth the headache. It's so interesting to hear anything time related to art because people generally are like, if it's something I'm passionate, I'm taking my time. Sure. I'm making sure everything's right. And to hear this complete opposite process is like, Isn't... wow. It's, it sounds it like is... majority of it is like your military influence, do you feel? It is. Okay. No, no, no. It's <laughs> it's totally. <clears throat> Plus, when I first got out into the, the design world, mm-hmm. I had an associate's degree and I was terrible. <laughs> I can't lie. I was trash. Um, cause I went out and I saw all these agencies. I saw all these people I was like, Oh, hell no. I can't compete <laughs> with this. These people are doing things I could never even imagine. That's doing. all of us when you start out. Yeah. Though, yeah. But then I went right back to school. I said, the hell with this. I need to learn more. I went <laughs> back and got my um, bachelor's degree Nice. and said, I need to put more time and effort into my craft before I can even mess with anybody out there. So what I did was I went back to school, got a, um, Started working at print shops, started working at everything related to my field of study, but just not my field of study. Right. So that I could understand how to make things and how things are constructed and what it takes to make stuff. So once I learned the back end of it, I was like, oh, the front end is going to be fun because I now know how to make things. Hmm. So once I went back to school after having this knowledge of like the print side of it, the production side of it, it was cake. It was like, oh, dude, all you got to do is. Use these two hands and that brain. You know exactly what you're doing. And all I had to do was get creative briefs that fit my skill set. That is super, super important. I feel like you can either be really good at one thing Mm -hmm. or a jack of all trades and kind of be mediocre across Mm -hmm. a wide range of stuff. But finding that niche Mm -hmm. is really it could be a lifetime's endeavor. It's true. Finding out where you're really the best. It's true. Yeah. yeah. And I'll tell you what's very interesting too. A lot of, I, I, I gave, I would give designers starting off this advice. If you look at your portfolio and you hate it, throw it away. Make your own clients. Find things that you are totally interested in designed to that. Stop making financial brochures if you're not a financial brochure right. designer. The don't audience make, will find you. Yep. Yeah. Don't make an annual report if you're not an annual report designer. If you're a club designer, make club stuff. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're a logo designer, make logos. Stop these boilerplate portfolios coming out of art school that are all trying to get everybody to wear a suit and tie to work every day. Because guess what? Yeah. 90% of the design world, 90% of the design world deals are done with a dime bag in the back room somewhere. <laughs> not in a <laughs> damn certain tie. <laughs> and that's the God's honest truth. Most people that want stuff are not looking for somebody in a suit and tie. They're looking for somebody that looks like an artist. They're looking for somebody that looks like the interest they have. So we take designers and artists and we wedge them into office jobs and we wedge them into looking like little accountants. Well, it's like it's a it's a whole thing where like, you know, you see guys like Joni Ive and Mm -hmm. you're like, 
that's what a designer is, mm-hmm. you know, speaking very, very esoterically about, yeah. you know, the form We're just all weird. of the mouse. Yeah, no, that's exactly yeah. it. Yeah. And the funny thing not. about it is if I became famous, I'd be the guy taking a bat to all of that. Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> kid, kid, take your pencils, go draw something, make it hot, go with it. Yeah. <laughs> just, and I think, honestly, that's the essence of creativity. The essence of creativity was given to all of us at like five years old. Mm. And that's basically get a bunch of crayons, get some paper, and just get to work. It doesn't matter. Make a cool thing for the kid next door. I was that kid. I didn't get bullied because I could draw Daffy Duck and like (laughs) Bugs Bunny on command. (laughs) So it's not like a need for you to seek inspiration since you're drawing it from everything that you love. It's true. Right. Inspiration. To me, I'm inspired by waking up (laughs) and opening my eyes every day. That's inspiration to me because I can find 10 things to like work from Mm -hmm. just waking up every day because the world needs art. The world needs people to make new visuals. Mm -hmm. And we are a visual society, but we do the opposite. We we use visuals, but don't everything in numbers instead, but don't Mm -hmm. pay visual people. Yep. That's the craziest (laughs) thing. Don't you want to get paid an exposure, though? You know what? That, that exposure helped me with my rent last month. My God. I'm eating good off exposure, guys. Oh, man. I've eaten that exposure. It's it's tasty. Like, come on. How So how common is that? Oh, it's extremely common. I mean, not just that. I've, I've, I'm amazed at the amount of people that want to pay me by alternate means. Yeah, it's so weird. I've had people try to pay me in drugs. I've had people try to pay me in beer. I've had people try to pay me in clothes. I've had people try to pay me in random the things. Barter yes. The and barter system. Like, yes. And I'm like, that's great. But my landlord is not going to take this bag of weed as <laughs> <this> payment. <laughs> you know, I feel like once you get to a certain point um, where people recognize you for your work and what you can do, that stops. Yes. You yeah. earn that level of respect that's where true. they're like, okay, I know that's I true. cannot get this from this person. I also also learned a small lesson too don't sell the art sell the person yep because if you sell the art people will buy the art they'll buy the one piece but they'll never mm-hmm. come back for anything else but if you go out there and sell the person hmm. all of a sudden it's like oh damn it's the personality <laughs> that draws them in they exactly. want to keep knowing more about the artist that's producing this and what's sad to me is we're in a day and age where the amount of known artists is very minimal hmm. if you if you went back in the day if you were to jump in a time machine and hit 1960 and go Pablo Picasso. Mm -hmm. Everybody could tell you about Pablo Picasso. Everybody could tell you about Salvador Dali. This is regular common people. Daffy Duck drew Salvador Dali mustaches on stuff in cartoons. Wait, Salvador Dali mustaches in cartoons. This tells you that back then, the average child had more of a grounding in art history than the average adult now. And it's crazy. We still use the same names when we talk about art today. Because we haven't formulated new heroes. Right. Hmm. The last new hero that I could tell is Banksy or Shepard Fairey. Shepherd Fairy. Yeah. Which, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that they're not heroes. But I think that back in the day, there were street-level art heroes. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And it was like, street art. It was super low. Brand. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, anytime people were like rushing to Basquiat to get his autograph, people were rushing to, to, to Warhol to get his autograph. Mm. I mean, Keith Haring. Like, Keith Haring was a god at the time he was alive. Like, he was like, literally, people loved this man when he lived. So why are we in an era where, like, the artist block is vacant of real big known artist. Well, I feel like there's so much saturation in this market and you're so accessible to this art through Instagram, through anything. You can buy anything online, have it shipped to your front doorstep. Whereas... It's ubiquitous, but the names aren't. 
Right. Now, that's the problem. Like, to me, I love the ubiquity of the art, which is fantastic. We are living in a golden age of great visuals because mm-hmm. there are tons of You get on Society6 and it's great nonstop. Visuals. <laughs> great visuals. I'm on Society6. Yeah. Great visuals. But the biggest problem that I have with all of it is, like, name the artist, though. Right. Like give, that's, the, give the credit where yeah, it's due. Where, where are the artists? Like Society 6 kind of, for all it is, I, I love it because I vend on it too. Mm-hmm. It is still a cap on who the artist is. Mm-hmm. Well, hold up. For, for people that don't know, namely me, what's Society 6? <laughs> Society 6 is like an online store that uses artist work. Essentially, you They're can, the middleman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They do all they the production They do all the production you. stuff. You upload your shit and they sell it. Yep. You oh, get a percentage. Yeah. And it's it's good. It's it's a good business, too, because, I mean, I make a decent amount from Society6, mm-hmm. but the problem I find is that it does not propagate the name of the artist that much. No. Mm. So it's like, it's great that your products sell, but if your name was out there, it could actually create a, a system in which, no matter what platform you're on, you would be able to you push would that be product. A, yes. I think that's the benefit of going through the traditional route of selling your art, like finding an art dealer, finding yep. collectors who will follow the name versus the art itself. But the problem with that is it's a very prejudiced system. Oh, yeah. It's all about it's who a, you know. <laughs> it's a very prejudiced system and it's a very indoctrinated system. Like that system, like the art world as we know it, where artists get to live, grow and expand in that gallery mm-hmm. network usually comes out of money. Like most people right. that are broke don't have an agent. And they have the best art. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, no. Look, hey, the best You're art so comes much out more of struggle. Resourceful. The best art comes out of struggle. Right. I believe that most of your geniuses were poor kids that had to make something out of nothing. Most of your most inventive people came out of a culture where they didn't have anything, so they had to make something in place of what wasn't there. Yeah, necessity being the mother of invention. So when you have these types of people creating things, it's hard for them to reach a network that's far beyond them. And they don't create any outlets for that network to find them When are we ever going to be in the same room? Exactly. Exactly. If you're not going to be in the same room as uh, Saatchi. Mm Mm-hmm. Sachi and Sachi is not going to just hang out in, in North Philly or hang out in some of the worst neighborhoods in the country and look for artists. That's not what they're going to do. Right. What they're going to do is they're going to get a representative to go out and scour the galleries and find something. And most of the people that are showing in galleries come from money already. Yep. It's the most minimal art that a lot of people don't understand, it's can't true. resonate with. But and it's because that price tag is so large. So I can afford this. So it's a flex. Money influenced art to the degree that people believe that money and art are synonymous. Yep. And that's not the truth. Hmm. The best art comes from the poorest people. Mm -hmm. Street art is probably some of the greatest art on the planet, and it's not for money. It's because somebody has a love and they do it. And the problem that we have as a society is we've separated society from art. Art is for the rich. Everybody else, we get street art. We get comic books. We get cartoons. Mm -hmm. We get lowbrow. And to me, lowbrow is right in my swinging radius. So I'm going to take all the lowbrow you can give me because if I can take lowbrow, marry it to highbrow and throw it back out there, people start going, the hell is this? (laughs) (laughs) And it's true. Because what people don't understand is... The most common ways of communicating are cartoons. The most common ways of communicating are basic. But what high art does is make it convoluted. Yeah, and I hate that Mm -hmm. so much (laughs) with a passion. As do I. So one of our friends, John Edgington, was at this uh, gallery called the Glenstone. 
Um, it's in Maryland, and they have like uh, Duchamp's Fountain is there, for example. Um, they have a bunch of these, you know, big like Jeff Koons sculpture. <laughs> yeah, they have all these sculptures and installations and stuff like that. And he was there, and there was this uh, metal cylinder. And he walked up to it, and he wasn't sure if it was a trash can or if it was art. <laughs> so he he put his hand on it to kind of get a feel for it, just, you know, because it's there. There was no, like, you know, railing or anything like that. He put his hand on it. and out Somebody of, ran out of nowhere, yeah, right? Yeah, out of uh-huh. nowhere. It's like, that's a million dollars. Do you have a million dollars to buy this? And that's he was ridiculous. He well, was the like, museum is in Potomac, Maryland, so that should tell you that. Yeah, <laughs> no. and then he was like, well, I, I really didn't know. And the, the intern was just railing on him about, yeah. well, this is like a, a art. People touch it. You, you don't have the money to clean it and stuff like that. And I was like, wait a second. That's so pretentious. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Wait a second. This thing is a, a metal cylinder. Yeah. Confused as a trash can. can yeah. So. I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you an interesting thing that makes that whole story an abomination, especially based on the fact that Deschamps Fountain is there. Yeah. Okay. Deschamps, being one of the greatest, greatest troll artists in the history of art, made you know the history of the yeah. fountain, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And do you know his whole thing about Willem de Kooning erased? No, I don't oh, know that. Oh, this is a story and a half. All right. Willem de Kooning was a jerk. I'm not just going to flat is out say Is he another that. Art- artist? He's another artist. Okay. Willem de Kooning was a jerk, and he would make these pencil sketches and say that they were worth ridiculous amounts of money. And Deschamps really did like to take people down a peg. Like, that was, oh, yeah. like, his thing. Like, he did. He just did all kinds of stuff to mess with people. So here this thing is at a gallery. Hanging, Willem de Kooning did this like sketch of a woman on a bike out of in pencil, and so Duchamp walks by, <laughs> pulls out an eraser, erases the thing, and then signs it, and titles it Willem de Kooning erased, and walks off. <laughs> what? <laughs> First of all, this is Duchamp. So if you're the gallery owner, are you gonna stop him? Nope. No. <laughs> Man. The answer is no. <laughs> and so basically, it was his troll job on Willem de Kooning. He's amazing, man. I love that amazing. though because I mean, he he was great a troll. Every everything he was doing was trying to challenge the status yep. quo and the whole process of it. But it is also ironic that his fountain, which was that somebody is using it yeah, in the same way, which exactly, is incredible. Yeah. Because that's also like his uh his his pay, his uh piece uh, yep. that went to PMA. Did yep. you ever hear about that with the window? No. He shipped this window to PMA, and it was supposed to be an art piece, right? It says, uh, view through window is the name of it. <laughs> I think that's the name of it, but it broke in transport. So when they took it out of the crate, the window was broken. So they call like Deschamps, like Deschamps, frantic. Like, frantic, <laughs> like, oh my God, we're so sorry. It broke in transit. What do we do? He said, hang it. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> awesome. He's like, now the name is view through broken window. <laughs> That's this awesome. man was a grade-A troll. That and the fact that he put up a wanted poster of himself in a post office. We need people like that. Yes. Well, like, that's it's important. I feel yes. like I feel like a Banksy is kind of doing that. He is. Yeah. Like with the, the shredder painting. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that. that was awesome. And the lifestyle you ordered is out of stock. I yeah. still love that one. It's still one of my favorites. The lifestyle you ordered is out of stock. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I, I love I love that, you know, whole street art thing. I was I was really in love with Shepard Ferry until yeah. I met him. And then it Ooh, was, yeah. I never met him. I used, to, I used to um, live in uh, California mm. and I used to work right next to his studio. Ah. And we used to go to the same taco place. 
And so you see him, people be like, oh, Shepard Fairey. And I know, I, I like, I, w- I bought into the whole Obey thing. Yeah, I wore yeah. all that, like, streetwear stuff. Yeah. And then I met him, and then and I started hearing stories about how he's, like, super diva after he started making <laughs> his money and stuff like that. But, I mean, like, no hate, but, like, yeah, it's, sometimes you don't meet your heroes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, that's for yeah. sure. That's for sure. That's why I never want to meet Tom York because I just want the idea of Tom York in my head. I don't mm. want to. I don't. I don't want to mess that up. I'm not a big. What do you think fan, so. makes a art hero, or how do you get placed into the art history books, especially today? Is when you go counter to the culture and decide that you're going to be a rebel. Okay. Without making it commercial. So you don't conform. Yep. Because he, throughout history, the, the thing that always makes a change is the outlier. Mm-hmm. Not not the thing that fits in, but the thing that doesn't fit in. Right. That thing that's the odd square is the, that's, that's mm. that person. That's the one that usually is the pivot in art history. The, usually they're the style changer. They're that one that you just didn't account for. And I think throughout art history, there have been people like that, that have been that pivot. One of my favorite artists is... Um, Bosch. Bosch is one of the craziest artists you've ever heard of because if you look, if you, he predates he predates Salvador Dali by like 400 years. Whoa. But this man was making the most surreal art you've ever seen in your life. We're talking about people riding mice. We're talking about <laughs> like folks living inside heads. We're talking about crazy stuff. Bosch was a madman. But the thing was, Bosch came from a rich family. Mm-hmm. So he didn't have to conform to the rest of the things that other artists had to. You just have that name behind you already. Yep. Mm-hmm. Artist had artist had to go out and get people to 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 um to pay for their work. Exposure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Patrons. Yeah, you patrons. had patrons, yeah. you had to go out and get nobles to kind of like buy your stuff. Bosch was like, I ain't gotta do none of that. I'm just gonna make weird stuff. <laughs> and yeah. he made weird things. And he was one of the few. That did that. And if anybody criticized him, he'd put him in their painting as like a rat or something. Like he's oh. just, he was that dude. Like he made things that most people, in fact, it's considered, he was considered one of those artists that he did Dante's Inferno and crazy things like that that mm. made people think he was possessed or mm-hmm. out there. But he was just a rich kid that like didn't have to conform to a damn thing. Like it was just his. His jam, whatever he wanted to do is what he did. I feel like people have to make up these background stories about artists to make sense of their art. Agreed. Like, you can't be a normal person producing really cool out there shit. Like, you just have to be mentally ill or <laughs> going through something traumatic, and that's how they justify it. Well, to be honest, almost every artist, if you sat down and were clinically diagnosed, every artist would fit in the DC, the, 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 the clinical, like, some the DSM five, yeah, yeah. Would, would fit into something. Maybe that's the criteria for being an artist. Yeah, I actually think that art, yeah. that, that <laughs> artistic creativity is, I, I personally think, is like a mutant power. It's one of those things that exist in people mm-hmm. and it exposes, it shows itself at specific moments. Like, mm-hmm. I think that people that are great musicians, it's dormant until you're art, inspired, yeah, <laughs> until you hit that thing or you hit that life inspiration that gets you moving. Sure. But there's got to be a reason where you could have somebody hit 40 and then all of a sudden become a dancer or yep. somebody that all of a sudden, like at 25, decides, hey, I'm a paint and they're damn good at it. Like, there's got to be something that's in there. I, up here somewhere mm-hmm. that like makes you a different character that makes that happen. Yeah, man. I, I also resonate with that. 
So for you, mm-hmm. you were in the Navy, mm-hmm. right? And you served. I served in between two wars. Wow. I served right after Gulf War One and before Gulf War Two. Okay. So what was that transition like? So like, were you were you interested in art like while you were serving, and and then did you make like you were saying, did that thing click, and you're like, nope, I'm gonna be an artist. I, like, how did that happen? Art was the hidden talent. Art was the like the the thing that I kept to myself. I grew up in a family of musicians. Hmm. My grandfather was a gospel uh, organist and singer. Hmm. My whole family, literally, my whole family were like musicians, singers, everything. So art was that thing that I did on the side, just sketching to myself to keep myself mm-hmm. right in the head, especially when things were getting too deep. I would just sketch. And my mom used to tell me all the time, she was like, you draw pages and pages of eyes, pages and pages of noses, pages and pages of mouths, pages and pages of hands. Like, do you ever finish a, a person? And I said, no, this is this is this is practice. This is for me. This is for me. <laughs> exactly. This is not for anybody else. This is this right. is just for me. And so once I got out of the military, well, once I was in the military, I, I started to collaborate with other people. And I made comic books when I was in the military with mm-hmm. friends of mine. I, I met um, my best friend, this guy named Doug, who's like absolutely one of the greatest artists I've ever seen. But the sad part is he doesn't draw anymore, which is like. Damn, dude, Doug, like, what's dude, going yeah, on? yeah. I'm like, I'm like, call him out, call him out right bro, here, bro. What are you doing, <laughs> Doug Bedford? Draw now. Draw. All of DC knows Doug. Yeah. <laughs> Pressure. Actually, he used to be stationed at the Pentagon. So awesome. Right um, but the thing is, he 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 took this like absolute passion because he learned like Disney's draw through method, mm-hmm. and then he taught it to me. Wow. And now he doesn't draw anymore. And my biggest wish has always been, dude. When you're done with what you're doing. I'm done with what I'm doing. We get back together. We form a comic book company. We get this get this going. Won't happen. He went right wing in photography, and oh. I went left wing in drawing. <laughs> <laughs> and so what we do is we get together on Facebook and just, like, bitch at each other. <laughs> well, that's that's kind of an interesting segue because a lot of your artwork is political. Oh, yeah. And what I wanted to ask you is, you know, it's very left, mm-hmm. um, and without getting, without turning this into a political discussion, which I, I have, I have enough of that. Oh already. no problem, I understand. Yeah, but how, like, do you are you ever worried about your artwork turning away, essentially half your audience? No, and the reason why is because it is me. My art is me, and if you can't accept what I am. Fine. No reason to be here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and I cannot fret over what offends people because if I did that, I would never live. I would never breathe. I love that, man. And especially being somebody that's t- damn near taking bullets for this country, I could give two craps about whether somebody agrees that's with That's real. It. <laughs> I really can. If you haven't been on a ship almost under fire in the Persian Gulf, please don't tell me anything. That That's what I always tell people that come at me with. Whatever their chat is, like, look, dude, I, I'm in, I was a former intel specialist on a boat in the Persian Gulf under fire. So please, <laughs> if you can give me a resume commiserate with that, then we can talk. But until you can give me something that's as solid and as real as that, I'm sorry. The rest of it is just claptrap from wherever your political corner is. Because I served. Until you've served, we don't really have a conversation. <laughs> and that's how I feel. That's how I've always felt about and it. And even if you did serve, mm-hmm. there still is no real conversation. No. 
It's freedom no. of speech, man. And that's the thing. And the funny thing about it is people think that I won't entertain a conversation that's counter to my argument. I will. What I won't entertain is people that just get in their feelings and walk away mad like a bunch of children. Right. Like, if you want to have an adult conversation, let's have an adult conversation. But if you're going to walk away and pout and talk about how you like your side, well, have fun. Have fun with your side, just not on my page. Well, that's the yeah. Well, that's the thing, right? Yeah. It's it's about it's about ideologies. Yep. It's about digging into my side versus your yeah. side, and, and that I'm, all we all don't that have to agree. No, yeah. and that the problem is, I feel like people believe that agreement equals right. Right. And sometimes the disagreement gives you the the, the meat for what actually needs to get done. Mm. The disagreement means that collaboration's possible, means Mm. that that, that we can actually have a conversation where you give some and I give some. But if it's like, I'm taking my ball and going home, there's no way that we can actually sit, collaborate, and come with a plan that's half of yours and half Mm -hmm. of mine. There has to be a middle ground. Yeah, we can't come to a consensus if automatically it's like, Maga, that's it, and run away. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't, like, I can't have a conversation like that. Like, for me, even if it was an argument with my wife, if she's not saying anything, there's no way I can actually talk. There's right. no way I can actually get a consensus. You have to communicate to get a consensus. So let me ask you this: like, with your political artwork, right? Mm-hmm. With with your well, let me back it up a little bit. With with your other stuff, like the pop culture stuff sure. or the sports stuff, yeah. that's a shiny thing. Yes. Right? That's a shiny thing, yes. like you were talking about. I feel like with the political stuff, it's a little bit deeper. So yep. what's the what's the goal? The goal for the political stuff, and I've always said this, is I always want to be a journalist to the non-reader. I want to be that person that gives information to a person that will not crack CNN, will not crack MSNBC, will not crack Fox News, will not jump on any website won't look at the Wall Street Journal or anything. Okay, I'll read it. I'll metabolize it. Then I'll put an image out there that fits it. Hmm. Because if we are going to be a society that moves forward, these messages have to be conveyed regardless of whether you read or not. And right now we have a society that is averse to reading. Yeah. And so I don't care if I have to be an editorial journalist by illustration. I will be that. And if that ticks off certain people, because it's going to be from my viewpoint, angle, yeah. yep, so be it. And I've also told other illustrators that didn't agree with me, draw your side. Draw your side. I'm drawing my side. Draw your side. If you have an opinion, there's some pencils. Here's some paper. Draw your side. <laughs> I, I mean, don't get offended by me. Compete with me. Draw right. your side. At least there's a panoply of things to look at so that people have something to choose from. But I'm giving my side. If you're not giving yours, that's not my fault. Right. Because I can't be you. I'm not in your head. And that's the thing that drives me nuts, too. When people tell me what I should and shouldn't draw. My concept. Hey, can you draw this picture of me? <laughs> yes. And you know what my concept is? What my, what my, my comment back usually is? Who are you to tell me when and where to wield my skills? <laughs> right. The talents are mine. The hands are mine. Nobody tells me when and where to use them except for me. And that's, I mean, that's just truth. And for any artist, any person that does anything creative or anything good, it's up to you when you use that. It's your skill. 
It's not someone else's skill. And I think we in this society are so used to getting people's skills for next to nothing that we don't think it has a value. And that's not true. It has tons of value. Yeah, man. I mean, like, I, I'm a I'm a recording engineer, so I know a bunch of musicians and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it is, and I have tons of musicians on the podcast and stuff. And one of the things that we always talk about is people don't place value on music, on mm-hmm. art, yeah. on writing. Yeah. I had a great singer-songwriter in here, and her name is Emily Henry. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what she says. It's like, we are in an age where we've never needed art more. more? Agreed. Yes. But we're in a society where people want to pay zippy for it. Think about all your apps. Think about Tumblr, Instagram, Facebook. Every, think about all your apps, right? All of your apps require some kind of a talent to attract people to that app, right? Right. If it's SoundCloud, there's music. If it's YouTube, it's videos. But guess who doesn't get paid for that? The creators. The creators. Yeah. They get nothing. Although they are the shake bringing all the boys to the yard, they're not getting a damn thing out of it. Yeah. And that's the truth. To me, artists at some point need to own the pipes. That way they don't have to worry about being paid. Because how is it possible that you can get millions of followers, millions of subscribers, all on a platform that pays you almost nothing? That makes no sense. And so... When you, the water, the water you use, are the pipes more valuable than the water? Absolutely not. Exactly. But the way the internet system is working, it is. The pipes are far more valuable than the water bringing people to drink. Well, it's because there's so much fucking water. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And that's why the pipe company is always going to win. Always. Well, not always. Eventually, I hope, you know. It's true. Yeah. It's just that there has to be a more equitable system that pays the producers, pays the people that actually make the product. Yeah. Because right now, don't get me wrong, I think artists are living, we, we always look at the STEM fields. We don't consider art to be in that. Yeah. And I believe that art is going to be something that makes the future because as we go through these jobs that are going to be automated out, guess what one is not? Art. Yeah. The things that we create. Not a damn computer in the world can make what I make. Not a damn computer in the world can make what you make. Not a damn computer in the world can make what you make. And that is the truth. Not yet. I don't even, I still don't even think that even if you had a computer that could sit down and scan and create art that looked similar to mine, it still wouldn't have the thought process, the ethos, the story 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 behind it. it. And that is what sells art. I think the issue is how do you take the time to learn how to sell your art and make the art at the same time. That's why we were able to hire these managers and these reps for us. That's the hard part. We want to focus on creating the good stuff, but how making am I it do and that? selling it is the hardest part. Yeah. And that's the conundrum I've been in for a long time <laughs> because I am so busy making art that selling art's the hard part. Hmm. Now, I've had friends, family, professionals come in and go, you know what, dude, if you just decided to take all these sketchbooks, you could probably sell them for a ton of money. And I'm like, that's great, but I have no time. I got to make other interest. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just want to create more art. In fact, I'll tell you something that I have right now in my house that it, it, it kills me that I have not put together the time to do this. I wanted to create an Etsy, Etsy page. And all it is is all the old projects that I worked on in sports because I have tons of old sports stuff. Yeah, I mean, stuff that sports fans would go friggin' bonkers over. Yeah. But I never put together the damn Etsy page to, like, 
sell it. Because you're too busy drawing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> too busy drawing. And then my other thing is I'm actually teaching kids art. Yeah. During the summer and after school. So I'm like, when do I get the no time, time to do this? No time. <laughs> Ironically, I went to school to learn marketing versus art so that I could first, like you said, learn how to sell my art and facilitate mm-hmm. it through whatever stream before I can actually fine tune my skill set. But I, what I ran into is what I learned was from a tangible product Mm -hmm. and a service that people could repeatedly come to but the difficulty with art is i can't create the same thing twice no so that's why a lot of my clients come for flyers versus paintings because one my paintings take forever flyers everyone wants that instant gratification that's true but i think you can make it that one fuels the other yeah like because that's the thing i'm at now where like my t-shirts and stuff like that are starting to fuel the other end of my art which is great like the t-shirt stuff, because I do like a bunch of stuff through Public mm-hmm. and things like that. And what I've been doing recently, which is my most, I'd say, exciting thing, is I've been picking up royalty sponsorships where all I have to do is make art and they send me a check quarterly. Right. And I'm like, thank hmm. And so this isn't me having to sell it. These are people that are like, we love your work. All you got to do is keep making stuff and send it to us. Like, So is this... Is this all that you're doing? Is this your nine to five, as it were? Oh, actually, I got a story to tell about that. Okay. One year ago, I was at Wizard World Philadelphia. I came back home. I mean, I came back to my office that Monday. My entire office was packed up, and they had let me go. No way. They didn't tell me anything. No way. This was one year ago. This is at the uh, Philly? Philly, yep. And uh, the company that owns Cuba Libre, I used to work for them. I used to be their whole ad agency. I did all their in-house stuff. And one day they, they just told me they got rid of my position. They gave me no recourse. Then they fought my unemployment. They fought all kinds of stuff because I did side work. They were like, oh, right. the side work. And this is, I'm like, oh, come on. Whatever. That has nothing to do with what I do for you. Here. Exactly. So when I went through the whole unemployment trial or whatever, they were like, that was side work. This is your freelance graphic designer on the side. That's not a big deal. So I got my unemployment. I was able to do everything. From that day on, everything has worked in the weirdest and most absurd ways, but just to my benefit, which I can't, I can never be angry about. Mm-hmm. I ended up working at my daughter's after school program doing art. I ended up creating two good contracts with a beer distributor and a, like a beer company, a, a brewery in Ithaca, New York, and a t-shirt company in Philly. That focuses on Philly oh, yeah. sports. Yeah, that's right up your alley. sports, yep. yep. And um, this is one of the things they sell. Um, and so I was able to, when, when, when my job basically got rid of me, all these people that I had done side projects for stepped up and said, yo, we got you. And mm. I have never been happier. You have to get to that low point. Entire life. But to, to think that all these people picked me up, I right. was just like shocked. Right. And that's why I was like, I have to go and thank everybody because that, there's no way I can make what I can make or do what I can do without you, without them. Mm-hmm. I mean, then I talked to my tax person and while I was working last year, I made 21000 off the books, like essentially outside of work. So I was like, if I can do that, what happens if I'm actively chasing it? I think it's important that you're in an environment that encourages this kind of growth. When yes. you have the people that believe in you, yeah. 
um, for someone to, uh, for lack of better terms, get rid of you so easily without any like you know without notice, cause, without right, cause at all. Um, that just goes to show how m- little they value you. But yeah. with these people who in your immediate circle are saying like, no, you have something that's worthwhile and that we're going to continue to grow. And I took all my vendors with me. Hmm. Like my vendors, they were all like, "What happened? <laughs> Where are you? Yeah. What happened?" Because they liked working with me and they knew the product that I gave them. Like. To work from the the deadlines, everything they knew that I was good on this stuff. Yeah. So they were people that were like, "You need prints for your next show. You need this, that, and the other. <laughs> nice. Hit us up. We got you." Like, I, I have honestly been through the ringer when it came to the job and everything else. Mm-hmm. But if it wasn't for social media, I know it sounds crazy, but <laughs> the encouragement that I got from all the people that that have followed me, and just the, the the sheer number of folks that I worked with that said, hey, we're with you. I mean, I wouldn't have made it. I would have lost my mind because yeah. it was just so overwhelming to have a job that you had for seven years that you had worked. Damn. I've given myself to you. Seven, seven years of my life. Whole friggin' years. Yeah. I've actually turned down freelance projects. I've turned down uh. bigger things because I worked for them. Yeah. It's like I was loyal to them for seven friggin' years. And then to show up on a Monday morning and all your stuff is packed and they can give you no definite, no, no definite answer why. Mm-hmm. And then when you talk to your old coworkers, they say the same. There was no real reason that we can think of. Like, it's amazing. <laughs> but it, it was necessary. But I also do believe that that eject button was pushed for a reason. Yeah. And it was like, dude, you're ready. You have the skill set. You have the brain. You've been doing this long enough. You know all these connections, especially in Philly. Do you? You know what you are. And to be honest, they were right. They're absolutely right. And so every bit of what I've been doing and plan on doing is to make sure that that decision to push the eject button Mm -hmm. was the right one. Hmm. Because I want to be shining the next time my former employer sees me. I don't want them to see despair. I want them to see strength. It ignites something different from you. Yeah, oh yeah. I was in the same place last year. Oh, Ironically, yeah. um, my life has done a complete 360 since... I understand. If it I... did a 360, you'd be in the same place. Like 180 is... <laughs> 180. What is it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> but it's just that I wanted to kind of put that anger in perspective and not just be mad. You know what I mean? Because it's easy to just be mad. I could have easily just gotten totally angry and outed them on social media and just went bonkers. But then there was a part of me that went, no. Mm -mm." The best revenge is living well. Yes. (laughs) Indeed, indeed, indeed. And that's why when when you contacted me, I was like, yes, I have a story to tell. I totally have a story to tell. And the story is that... And honestly, since the day I suggested the the the, the Nike Lab thing mm-hmm. for you, I feel like my karma has been fantastic. And so I actually wanted to thank you because ever karma since I've been here to thank you, <laughs> I'm it. dead serious. I'm dead serious because what happened with the Nike with 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 that with the cultivator this, this, the cultivator yeah. thing because they changed their name. Yeah. Um, the thing that happened with them is I knew I couldn't take full advantage of that opportunity just because I didn't have a big enough network to to do it. But when I saw you, I was like. This is a person that's got the skill, the style, and a big enough network. I'm like, yes, this that's is who. Crazy. This I'm is who you push you like, to, dude. What? No, but <laughs> you're that like, person. I was like, this is who I push to. Go, <laughs> go, go. Because I was seeing like, 
I was looking at all the events you guys were like doing and th- I'm like, yes, this is the person that can handle this. I was like, me, I'm kind of an otaku. Otaku is a person that stays home and watches cartoons. That's pretty much me. <laughs> so I knew that like I don't have a network enough to sell enough sneakers or at least to have enough reach. Right. Now, don't get me wrong. I love that they picked me because I was a different person to pick, but I didn't have the network for it. Which was why, as soon as they said, can you suggest someone else? I was like, I know who. (laughs) Thank you so much for that. (laughs) I was like, I absolutely know who. Because I was like, her style is good. She has people that would definitely pick up on this. And she has a wide range as far as what she makes. And so I was like, this is the person. (laughs) It was like a two-second decision. so amazing. Because they said, do you know anybody that you would suggest? And I was like, yep. The power of social media. Yep. Well, it helps people find an audience. Yeah. And every artist, every creative needs an audience. And what happens is we get beat up and beat down just staying in our environment. Yep. And that's not healthy. It's never the people who are closest to you that support you. It's always a distant stranger who's admiring you from afar. No, but that's the truth. The funny thing about it is I am not big in my own city. I am trying to get people to discover me. In Hi my guys, own I'm city. here. I yes. live here with you. <laughs> yeah, I've been trying to get I've been trying to get this Wombo to put me on his podcast forever. Oh my gosh, he's like, oh really? You have thirteen thousand followers? Oh, yeah, yeah. All right, that's sure. Cool. You've done you've done some some major stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, that's great. great. Uh, well, where'd you in between uh, this dude that cuts hair and this other guy that makes sandwiches? Like. <laughs> I'm like, that's great. I'm be- between the cheesecake guy and the guy that does a fade. Nice. That's, 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 <laughs> <great>. <laughs> that's appropriate. It's <laughs> difficult oh for people to grasp that you might be doing better than them. <laughs> and the thing that's even crazier is there are people that are actually selling my designs and they're still like, oh, okay, maybe. Yeah. Like, dude, you're selling my work. <laughs> just just do a little bit of research and find you're the source. Selling. It's me. Crazy. <laughs> crazy. But we, like you said, we're always... We always uh, don't appreciate the people closest to us. Yeah. We, we mm-hmm. think that that's further away, that that's somebody better, that that's somebody over mm-hmm. there. And what I've always been saying for years is everybody has to big up their friends. Yeah. Absolutely. Because everybody's got really talented friends. If you turn around and just big up your Man, friend. My circle is doing big things. But and that's, that's so like amazing to say. That's a good thing. <laughs> But I think that people are so willing to like go, somebody else is great. No, look at the people behind you. I think when you don't have something that you're striving for and you're passionate towards that you feel like you are reaching your goals, it's hard for you to take a look at someone else and congratulate them. I'll agree with that. If you're not in a place where you want to be, you can't be like, hey, man, great job, I guess. Well, I've got a thing that I've started. People are very prideful. I've got a thing that I've started and it's to keep me mindful of that. It's called a gratitude box. Every time I meet somebody, they give me a business card and done something cool for me, I throw it in the gratitude box. Because at some point, I'm going through the gratitude box and I'm going, you know what? I got these t-shirts here. (laughs) (laughs) And I got these prints from this other show. I'm going to put this together and start sending them out to people. And that means the world to them. Yes. It may be something that's been sitting in your closet for years. Yes. But it's necessary. Mm -hmm. And it's that thank you is so necessary. So It goes a long way. Yes. So many people are struggling and all they needed was somebody to go, yo, you know what? You did a really fine job. Right. Like, it doesn't take much. You. It doesn't take a whole lot. Yeah. And especially when it comes to talented people, that small investment, that small thank you gets them to work that much harder on their next project. And 
think of you for any other opportunity too. Sure, sure. Well, it's like the thing that they say, you you may not remember all your insults, but you remember every single compliment. You do. Yeah. You do. And to be honest, when I walk into any establishment, if somebody treated me well, I try to point it out. Right. I try to go, yo, you did a great job. Or, hey, to the manager, yo, that guy is busting it. Like, because it's a million people that'll tell you how crap you are. There's not many (laughs) people that'll tell you how good you are. Easy to throw shade. Oh, it's easy easy. to criticize. Yeah. It's easy to even throw shade at stuff. You don't even know how it works. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, it's not like uh, we're like big uh, MMA fans. Yeah. And we're like, oh, man, what is he doing? <laughs> what is he doing? While Take you're him comfortably down. in the safety outside of the ring. <laughs> Take him down, man. Oh, what an idiot. <laughs> Meanwhile, you know, I'm eating Cheetos. Not really, but you know what I mean? It is I, like that. I feel the same way about so how... So easy. I feel the same way about how people like... Um, uh, 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 like, go after Ben Simmons. Because I'm a Sixer fan. Oh. Like... Ben Simmons is legit, like, one of the best players I've seen come out of anywhere. Like, dude is, like, blessed by God to be, like, six foot ten, dribble a basketball like Magic Johnson, and it's just amazing. But here's half the Philly crowd. He can't shoot! Like, oh my God, <laughs> dude. It's like, and you can't either. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can't look down and see your feet. So what makes you think you can hit a jump shot? Yeah. Like, <laughs> just. Everyone's a critic. Oh, Everyone's no. a critic. It's so bad. And it's like, how in the world are you criticizing this expert? Well, I feel like it is, you know, if I can if I can if I can criticize someone else, that makes me feel a little better about living in the basement <laughs> with my Cheeto fingers. It's a lack of self-awareness yeah. and reflection. Yeah. That is true. Yeah. That is a complete lack of like self-awareness. Yes. Like like expressing gratitude is so important. It's something that we need to practice too. every day. Sure. I just love. Uh, it was a recent story in the press where there, somebody was saying Jason Momoa was getting fat, and I was like, "Just uh, yeah. stop!" <laughs> just, I saw the picture just, and I was just like, this stop. Is, this, "What is the criteria for <laughs> just, fat?" Yeah, I was like, "Just stop!" <laughs> because that's- I was like, "This Jason Momoa slander must end." Just stop, oh, man. <laughs> that man ate two sandwiches. Now you're calling him fat? Like, seriously, stop! Just stop. <laughs> Yeah, oh, man. Oh, ridiculous. It's crazy. It's a society, man. I tell you. And it, it makes it difficult for me to make friends yeah. or find peers that I can relate to because oftentimes I, I forget the exact quote, but, um, you know, certain people talk about other people versus, I guess, the more greater minds speak upon ideas yep. and mm-hmm. concepts. So. Yes. Uh, gossip and you know who's who's the latest trend or any of the sort it's really really hard for me and I'm like I alienate myself as it is like most of the time I'm at home in front of my computer working Mm -hmm. so when you do meet someone who can you know return that gratitude and acknowledge the things that a lot of people won't do on the surface level it it feels good so in return like it makes you want to build that connection and yes. further that relationship. It's true. Right. It's hard to come by someone who's not going to be like, oh, look at that person in their shoes. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll completely be honest. My One of the reasons why my wife is my wife <laughs> is she and I went through art school together. And when I tell you that creatively, she's like, I am chaos. She is order. <laughs> and that's how it works. Like, she knows that I'm going to be that guy that's doing ridiculous stuff. And then she goes, Okay, look, we have to sell it. <laughs> like that's so now. It's like okay, that's great, that's great. The kittens, the frogs, the, we have to sell it. Okay, <laughs> just like she's she's one of those people. She'll she'll tell me she's like, Kenny, I know you have to go do a podcast. 
I don't know how many miles you're going, but just share your location, okay? I want to know where it's you a are. necessary part of your system, though. Yes. Not just oh. with art, but every day. She's my baseline. Yeah, she's actually she's actually the baseline I judge everything by. And the the whole year, this whole year, the one thing that has been absolutely constant is Aww. she said, "You are talented enough to do this." Just do it. She was like, you've been talented enough since college. Right. Only thing you didn't have was the experience. And now you have the experience. Just do it. She was like, I am not in any way telling you to get another job. She's like, because I know that a cubicle will kill you. In fact, a year ago, I was 80 pounds heavier. I lost 80 pounds since leaving that damn job. Because I started running five miles every other day. Mm -hmm. I started doing yoga every other day to break that up. I've gotten just, I don't eat fast food. You can focus on yourself. I focus completely on myself and it's all creative driven. It's all about getting the creative mind right. And she was like, whichever direction you head, we're headed with you. And that's profound. I, I can't, I can never. Thank that woman enough yeah. for pushing me in that direction and saying, this is what you are. What a woman. Follow it. Yes. Yeah, man. Follow it. No, I'm dead Powerful serious. wife. Wow. I'm dead Powerful serious. wife. I'm dead serious. She she actually, and right now her thing is she's doing cosplay photography. That's wow. her thing. I think it's so important to have someone in your corner who understands your craft and what you do, mm-hmm. what the process is like. So to hear you guys like we're in art school together, yeah. that's practically like going to war as well. Oh, no, no, it's <laughs> like, true. Oh, we went you... through the crit wars together. <laughs> oh, the great crit yeah. wars. <laughs> She watched me punch in a mailbox. She Man, knows. You really learn about yourself through she your knows. art. <laughs> she <Crazy>. knows. <laughs> but yeah, she's she's been that thing that's tethered me to reality for a very long time. Well, you you need, grounded. You twenty need years. That, We've been together twenty years. Wow. You need that benchmark, man. You oh, need yeah. that you need that foundation. And for then sure. my daughter is like <laughs> She's like me on steroids creatively. <laughs> this awesome. kid is animating already. She's 11. Whoa. She's already started. She's Dude, got three animation the kids, channels. These days, I'm so excited to see what they generate. It's incredible. Oh, the kids are scary creative at this point. And <laughs> it's it's like, and not just that, they will YouTube anything. Anything. My little cousin has learned French and Spanish through just watching YouTube. <laughs> I'm like, bro, we wait till high school to pick yeah. up on these things. Yep. And you guys are animating. My daughter's like... teaching herself Japanese right now. That's incredible. I'm dead serious. She doesn't want to deal with subtitles, man. No, <laughs> no, that's exactly why she's learning them. Because she's like, okay, I'm sick of this. I'm on Funimation. <laughs> they don't have subtitles in my favorite show. It's <laughs> a hell of a barrier right now. It's like, a dangerous Season four thing. is not subtitled yet. <laughs> also, it is, the, it is the technology that's allowing. I mean, yeah. like when... Yeah. You know, I don't I don't know exactly how old you are, but you know, I can guess, right? When we were growing up, they we didn't have no YouTube. No, yeah. No, yeah. no, 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 no. There was no YouTube. You had to We were resourceful. You had <laughs> to hope that somebody made like a PBS documentary yeah. about it. Bob or Ross, you, teach me. Ross. Please. <laughs> My tree looks so ugly. <laughs> that's a smudge. We're gonna turn that into a bush. All right, and that's yeah. a little lake there. A happy little tree. Uh, there we go. Little cloud. That's a cloud. That's, that's a cloud. great. I'm just gonna tuck a raccoon back there. There you go. <laughs> Dude, that's a great, that's a great one. He's the best, Bob Ross. Powerful Bob Ross. Oh no, Bob Ross for, should be president. That demeanor is so. They like, have like mellow. six thousand Bob Rosses accessible to them right now. Yeah. Oh it's, yeah. Oh yeah. I'm jealous. In every style. Yeah. Anything. So what happens is she'll look up animation styles and then just like go. 
Wow. To learn how to animate specific <clears throat> ways. She's like, I want to learn traditional. I want to learn digital. I'm like, okay, you're 11. Is that something yeah. that creates more of a bond for you? Yes. Definitely. She's my creative mini me, which is fantastic. <laughs> She's already picked a college, but not picked a high school. <laughs> like, I'm dead serious. You she's can like, pick a high school now? That's well, crazy. well, yeah, <laughs> sort of. She's like, she's like, I want to go to this college. I'm like, look, you got to go to high school for, oh. I can't wait to reach out to you guys in the 10 years and find out where she is, what company oh, she's running. <laughs> I'll tell you this much. I've already told her, do not work for Disney. Because they're evil. And racist. <laughs> Don't work for Disney. My baby sister works for Disney. And oh. maybe... <laughs> Very and, proud of her. I'm and so, shouldn't I love work you, for, baby sister. And shouldn't work for Nickelodeon. Why not Nickelodeon? Ooh. Um, the problem is, animators in general, if you create characters while you're working for those companies, they own it. even if it's not on the clock, they own it. That's insane. In fact, you have a problem right now where um, the Steven Hil Hildenberg, the guy that created SpongeBob, he made a, a, a cartoon pilot for SpongeBob before Bikini Bottom, and it's like Camp, forgot, Camp Krusty or Camp mm -hmm. something. And Nickelodeon's going to make it. That's insane. Oh, crazy. And they oh say gosh. that it's, they're going to make it into a cartoon, but there's a lot of people that are like, it was against Hillenberg's like, wishes because but he never wanted it made. But then, um, so my daughter actually sends me this this like petition. Like, <laughs> uh, this dad. <laughs> yeah, she says, you got to sign this, dad. <laughs> we, we have to, like, um, we have to boycott the new show yeah. because it wasn't Steve Hillenberg's, like, Wishes. And there aren't any rules and regulations to protect us as artists. No. And I told her that I don't know, even if you boycotted it, right. it wouldn't matter. Not do anything. And yeah. I said, I guarantee you Steve Hillenberg didn't even own SpongeBob before he died. It's a harsh yeah. realization. Yep. Like you really yep. take a risk when you put yourself in your art out there. Yeah. Well, what happens is once you do work for hire, mm -hmm. after you pass, like that's still theirs. Yeah. They own it. They own the so, IP. Yep. yep. So if he did, if he made a version of SpongeBob as a child <laughs> going through camp, guess what? Nick owns every bit of that. It doesn't matter if you boycott it or not. It's it's going to be there. It's going to be there. It's going to exist. And that's a shame when it comes to animation or any kind of character creation. Once they own the IP, it doesn't matter what happens. Yeah. They can do whatever they want with it. Not to discourage any future <laughs> artists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely <laughs> no, get after do, it, do for it. sure. No, but what, go for it. No, but what I've, what I've always told people, and I told my daughter this, if you have a concept that's so good that you're animating, this is what you do. You get a network together with your friends, and you make it yourself. And you pitch it, pitch it and push it independently. And if you're good enough, it'll get out there on its own. You don't that's really so need... applicable for any realm of art yep. that you're producing or entertainment, yep. music especially. Be passionate and push it on your own, and chances are it'll get out there. You just have to be diligent about it. Yeah, and it might not be on network TV plus, no. but you'll have. But the that people family. who you want have it will find yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. definitely. Because uh, the the other example is um, Bravest Warriors. It's a uh, it's actually the same people that did Adventure Time, mm -hmm. but they did a spinoff. Bravest Warriors is a spinoff of Adventure Time, not a spinoff, but it's by the same creators. Right. They did it on this other network called Cartoon Hangover that they created because they didn't want anybody else tinkering with their idea. And I'm like, that's the concept I'm they talking about. They wanted like creative control top yep. to bottom. So what they did was they got a bunch of other creators like Bee and Puppy Cat and a bunch of other animated pieces. They put them together on this independent network so that they could actually 
Work. That's actually happening happening with wrestling too. I'm a big mm-hmm. pro wrestling fan, and you see a lot of oh, like independent wrestlers. Yeah, they have their own like version of like Netflix. Yeah, and they you have all the you know the yes. smaller promotions you know broadcasting through their um, Powerbomb Network. I Shout think out. that's really important as these uh, fields are being recognized as places you can actually go to for a job. Like it's n- straying so far from the traditional jobs mm-hmm. that we are building our own networks and securing our work and not yeah. relying on anyone else to put it out there because they own it. Yeah. The, the whole thing like with with this podcast mm-hmm. is that I wanted to do everything on my own. Yeah. Right. It yeah, makes sense. And that's part of it. Totally like, makes sense. Yeah. That's why uh, in my my future iterations, I'm going to all these different like creative masters to learn things so that I can do them independently. Mm. Because I I have a friend that's a screen printer. It's like, I want to sit with you and just really get into this. Like, like become expert level screen printers so that I can do this myself. Like, because I see the end of not the end of the internet, but the end of things as they are yeah. and see a point where they're going to come back to artisans and come back to artistry. And I want to be that guy holding pencils going, hey, guess yeah. what? I'm still here. It is, <laughs> it is. even in like beer. Like yeah. craft breweries, uh-huh. farm to table restaurants, yeah. you know, local Everyone winery. Wants the source yeah. now. Oh, yeah. 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 So it is already trending now. Artisanal things. Like yeah. I, right. I just think that the whole world networks are going to get smaller yeah. so that we can be more sustainable. Because right now what we have is we have these long networks and these long infrastructure So many middlemen. Yeah. And what happens is if you get one disruption on one end, it destroys the entire line. The whole supply mm-hmm. chain. Yeah. But if you create nodes of power along a chain that mm-hmm. if something's disrupted, you still have things going, that ends up being a better system. And I've mm-hmm. always proposed that what we do is have individual centers that are closer together as opposed to long chains because disruption is kind of endemic to how we are as a society. I mean, as far as global warming and all kinds of other things are happening, disruption is built, is baked into the cake. Yeah. So if we're not shortening supply chains and making things more artisanal and more local, then we're creating nothing but havoc to happen later. Yeah. We're setting ourselves sustainable. It's yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah. Setting ourselves up for failure. And I do think that if we have we have communities of people that have skill sets and we have to tap into those skill sets better and start to make those into a community as opposed to, hey, that guy goes off to work and does this. Yeah. That guy goes off to work and does that. And this girl goes so off to work. And it's so interesting. I just came back from Vietnam where the economy itself in this village was like everyone had a particular job that they did mm-hmm. and it wasn't like necessarily a trade um a barter system but everything was supported by your neighbor Mm -hmm. you had a person who sold the fish sold the meats made the clothes um sold the jewelry and the phones and if you needed something from the outside someone you send someone who gets it for everyone else so you sustain yourself even though you're not in a bigger city you're still thriving Mm -hmm. everyone is still making money and being able to support their families without having to wait on a big shipment. That's come. true. That's like um, um, my family's from the Caribbean by nature. Like, I mean, from the Caribbean, I grew up in St. Croix. Um, I was born in Philly, but grew up in St. Croix. 
it's like that island mentality. Yeah. Everything has to come from it's the island. Like <laughs> if it doesn't happen on the island, it's you expensive as yeah, hell, yeah. and you ain't getting it. Like yeah. it's yeah. just how it works. And it's you so ironic. We're, we're modeling our businesses now off of what these third world countries are already doing. Forever, yeah. 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 Well, because it's the most sustainable model. Yeah. It is. We've strayed so far model. from it that we're like, oh shit, this doesn't work. Well, I mean, <laughs> our, our current model board. is just unrealistic. Yeah. It's unrealistic factory farms are unrealistic (laughs) getting getting uh what is it getting oranges in the middle of the winter is unrealistic (laughs) like it's just unrealistic well it's just you know capitalism at its best oh you know it's good to some degree but you know in others it's eh, it's not well you whenever you get oranges in the in in you know in the winter or wherever they're not i mean it's there's a cost to that oh a huge cost there's a cost to that um, yeah, man, we've been talking for a minute. Is there anything else that you wanted to say or talk about? No, I'm quite happy. And the best first and person. Well, where can people find you? That's people important. can find me on social media. I am Tomcat23 on Instagram. T-H-O-M. I am T-H-O-M. Cat23. Um, I'm also on Twitter as Tomcat23Tweets. If you don't like raunchy political tweets, I wouldn't follow that. <laughs> um... Tumblr, I'm also Tomcat23. I am, at some point later on in the future, I will be launching a consolidated website in which all of my stores are together. Because right now I've also got, let's see, I'm on T Public as Tomcat23. I'm on Society6 as Tomcat23. I'm on Design by Humans as Tomcat23. Where else am I? I'm all over the damn place. <laughs> well, they'll find you. Tomcat23, T H O M. CAT23, they're going to find you. Yes. Uh, Monglin on everything. On or everything. my website <laughs> is M O N G L I N H dot com. And that's everything. See, look at the difference, man. <laughs> Come on, you're on everything. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> hey, man, just from me, it was an absolute pleasure to meet you. Oh, same here. Big fan of your artwork. Thank you. And now I'm a bigger fan, like you say. Knowing the story behind no, the guy, no, we're best friends now. Yeah, the, oh. the, the story behind the guy is yeah. always a is always a blessing. And man, I appreciate that you came by. And uh, yeah, man, I can't wait to see what you come up with tomorrow because I know there's gonna be something <laughs> an hour from now. Yeah, on the on the metro ride back to the convention center. But um, yeah, man, just for me, thank you so much for coming oh, no by, problem. Kenny Thomas, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, Kenny Thomas. And there you have it. The 36th episode of the Lucha Lounge podcast is in the books. I had a great time talking with both Kenny and Monglin, and I hope you enjoyed the conversation as well. If you'd like to see what they're up to, you can find Kenny on Instagram at Tomcat23. That's T-H-O-M-C-A-T-23. And Monglin on her website, monglin.com. That's M-O-N-G-L-I-N-H dot com. Well, that's it for me. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next time.